0: Brooklyn. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app. listening to Bushwick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is a new show hosted by me, Asha Saluja. It's a show about life's inflection points, about the crossroads in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things, how we weigh our options, or how we tap into our intuitions. And we'll talk about the degree to which our choices matter. Do we have any control over the things that alter our faith? Or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? On each show, I will have a guest tell me about all the big decisions they've ever made in chronological order. We'll start at birth, fast forward to their first big decision, and map out the road their life has taken as a series of inflection points, or junctions. So with that, I'll introduce my very special guest today. This is our fifth episode, and this is a guest that I'm so excited about, because this person has played a big role in my life's decisions, and I can't wait to talk about that.
1: Uh, So Melissa, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. Uh, So happy to be here. Thanks for listening in. should I say a little bit about myself? Yeah. So
0: Melissa's an entrepreneur and I guess maybe you would call yourself
1: a professional community builder. Yeah. I'm trying to uh, grow into that title a bit more, but that is my main, the main space I'm operating in.
0: So let's talk a little bit. I I like on the show to do a non-brief introduction. That's what I call it. So not just not just your vital stats, but what you're up to, uh, occupationally and what stage of you, your life you feel you're at. So I, I know this about you a little bit, but let's hear it for our audience.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, brevity is not, um, always my strong suit. So I'm going to be great at this introduction. Um, I currently run a community event space called new women's space, and that's what's taking up most of my time and, my uh, energy these days. Uh, it is about a year and a half old and I run it with my co-founder Sandy Hong. And we basically came together because we believed in the power of being in person together. So in a very digital world, where are there spaces where you can come together and sort of feel human? Where can you feel heard and seen? And um, we we both shared a mutual care for supporting particularly women and people who uh, identify as queer or gender non-conforming. And so a hundred percent of our programming there is led by such individuals and yet the space is open to everybody. So um, yeah, even literally before coming to uh, talk to Asha today, I was at the space getting an event host set up and it's just never a dull moment there. Every week is different. Um, people always ask you know, what kinds of things happen. And, um, part of the, the, the challenge and the thrill is that, uh, each event is its own unique thing. So, uh, you could go to a book club one week, um, or one day, and then maybe right after there'd be a panel discussion and followed by a talking circle followed by a finance workshop. So it's just, uh, it's a lot of things.
0: It's so many exciting things. I met Melissa right before I think like in the time that I knew you in those first few months, so I met Melissa through a program called Upspeak, kind of a seminar-oriented program for women, was it women or women or gender non-conforming individuals who were at, I guess, a crossroads in their career or who felt that they needed career support um, from like-minded people. And over the course of my time in that program, I feel like this idea was born. And a few months later, we checked in and it was happening. And then a few months later after that, I, we checked in and it was like open and done. And I've been to this space and it's so cool. And now I follow, you know, the space on social media and I pop in and it's like, I can't believe how much stuff you're doing there. Just the sheer volume of programming um, is astounding. And then we both shared this anecdote on social media now. But I did a podcasting class a few months ago, or I guess more than more than six months ago now, closer to a year ago. And this was when this idea was very nascent. And I kind of just needed the the extra push to go ahead and do it. And I got that from from this seminar, this class that I did. And if you think about the effect you've had on my life like the just that junction for me of like maybe I'll check out this podcasting class uh, and where that's led for me in my life and then multiply that by the hundreds maybe thousands of people who have attended events in your space like you're really making an impact and that's just so cool I just I get excited thinking about how many junctions you are creating for people in this community so Really That's ha- to yeah have you here. I wish
1: you could see my face um because it's probably like it's uh, when I look overwhelmed it's very <laughs> sweet to hear I'm um glad. yeah I mean I think in addition to kind of me discovering the why my professional why um project cultivation is one kind of succinct way to sum it up but I think at the time where we, where we met I was kind of creating what I needed myself uh, I felt like I was at a junction and um needed help, uh, with accountability and with support to see my dreams out. And so I kind of created the thing I feel like that I needed. Um, and it's something that I feel grateful to be able to do at new women's space as well. Um, I think especially in New York city, uh, it's intimidating place to just feel like you're a beginner at everything because people here are so talented and driven. And, um, sometimes we just need like, an extra person saying, I believe in you and checking in with you to, to make that thing happen.
0: That is so deeply true. Just so true. Um, okay. So en- enough of this little mutual <laughs> adoration. Uh, so the premise of this show is, as I have mentioned in my intro, all of your life's decisions in chronological order. And it's a little early in the show for my fifth episode to deviate from the premise. And I know you're prepared to do that today. So that's what we're going to do. But in in preparing for this, it kind of has come to light that you have a really unique approach to decision making. And I think it would make just as much sense to organize this episode in terms of themes as it would chronologically. We're still going to do it chronologically just because, you know, episode five, I got to stick to the formula. But I, I would encourage you, and I think I will also n- not hesitate to pause and stop the timeline and do a thematic break, like a thematic pause or a, a connecting the dots kind of moment. So with that, the formulaic first question on this show is, tell me about the circumstance into which you were born and what a life might look like for someone who was born the way you are?
1: Yeah, I love that question. Um, well, okay. I was born in San Diego. I feel like location is the easiest way to start talking about that. Um, I was the eldest in a family of two. And um, I think of my childhood as pretty charmed. Uh, I think it's actually telling that my first junction that I prepped for this happened right when I left the nest. Um mm-hmm. I thought that struck me because the way I interpreted it meant that in some ways I didn't feel like I could, I had the autonomy as a, as a, you know, pre 18 year old to make decisions. Um, or it could just be that memory is short term and it's hard to remember.
0: Yeah. It could totally be either of those, but I do find most people's first, big decision is where to go, where to go when they leave their childhood. Um, so you, you picked Berkeley. Yeah. Um, do we want to go there yet or do you have some childhood autonomy you want to discuss?
1: Um, I mean, I think I would just maybe share that I felt I had a, I say charm childhood because I was afforded a lot of opportunities to play sports and, uh, try different try out different like identities sort of and different interests. So whether it was playing piano or um, being sort of uh, gently forced to volunteer, I, I remember I got to uh, the college application process and everyone was asking, you know, all the colleges were like, what's the most special thing about you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was around that time that I, I can maybe had my first little identity crisis where I was like, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm, I have the curse of the well-rounded child who's pretty okay at a lot of stuff, but I'm not like a superstar, you know, I don't, any one thing. And I had a friend who even joked calling me, uh, Mordinary, She's just like Melissa plus ordinary is Mordinary. And, oh. and, and I think that, that narrative sort of sparked at that point And that carried on to be like, I don't have one shining passion. And again, I think. We always create what we don't need. But I think it's interesting that here I am, you know, fast forward uh, 13 years later and I'm trying to help people pursue their passions.
0: Yeah. But you're also making, I would say being an entrepreneur in general, but also the kind that you are in a really nascent organization that has a lot of different components to it. You're kind of making a career of being well-rounded, I would say. Uh, I relate to that deeply. I feel that probably a lot of women who have involved parents and who are taught even a little bit to try not to use women, not to speak so broadly, but just some kinds of people are taught that being agreeable on many fronts and being good at many things and um, kind of like being able to show up in all the different ways that you're asked to, is the best route in life. Um, I I relate to that really well. So you're asked what's the most special thing about you and you're feeling a little down and a little bit ordinary. And does that influence your path to Berkeley or was it sort of a different decision-making process?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I remember getting to college and being aware of the fact that I could, try on any new identity if I wanted to. I went to Berkeley with a couple close friends and my high school boyfriend at the time. And so I felt um, comforted and supported and close friends. But I was, you know, you're like a little, you feel like a big fish in a small pond and then you get to the big ocean and you're like, I can be anybody. Huh. And that was the first lesson where I realized like, well, I kind of like myself. Even if I can criticize myself for being like, you don't really know what to pick or which way to go. Um, ultimately it's really, it was hard for me at least to not just keep doing like being me. (laughs) That sounds strange, but no, it doesn't at all. It doesn't sound strange.
0: It sounds enviable. I don't think that any person would come in. I don't think that just anyone would come into this room and say, yeah, my, my first realization in college was that I really liked myself. I think that a lot of people go through intense self-hatred at that time and. That seems like a gift or at least uh, a strength of character. That's cool. So what was there? You had, you understood that you had the opportunity to try on lots of different identities and kind of chose not to, Uh, but what activities did just being yourself bring you to do?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I look to the creation of my major as a big part of that story too. Um, because Berkeley had the option to to make your own major mm-hmm. and i always said that people who chose that either knew super specifically what they wanted to do um or they were the people who had no clue yeah that feels true <laughs> and i was more on the on the latter side of things so i just thought well if i why do i have to be confined to a major why don't i just take follow my nose and choose what i'm interested in and then see what themes sort of evolve Um, and just to get, I mean, a little, um, psychological about it, but I think that my approach to decision-making or not making a decision sometimes is based on wanting to keep all my options open, um, which is not unheard of, but it's also part of that is based on a fear of being stuck in something. Absolutely. That is such a running
0: theme, I think. Uh there should be a name for that. Maybe we can think of one mm-hmm. by the end of this hour. Like the, the you use the word maximizer and I think we'll get to that. It's like slightly different, but there must be an, a similarly convenient word for this. It's like a decision delayer, like a non-locked in or uh, uh non-committer.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Has a little bit of a bad connotation,
0: but So did you feel that choosing your own major or designing your own course of study afforded you that the ability to not feel locked in?
1: Yeah, I think it did. And at the same time, I think one thing I'm trying to sharpen my awareness now even is that in some ways, well, freedom and I don't know what the opposite of freedom is, but not having freedom, there's sort of, um, Different angles that you can look at any decision by. So, for example, if I chose a major, I would not have the freedom to take classes in different things, but I would have the freedom to see the same people in my classes and maybe graduate knowing people are feeling more of like a community there. Um, my reality of making my own major, I had the freedom to take classes in all these different,
0: Mm. uh,
1: you know, fields. But when I walked on stage, when I graduated, I didn't really know anyone else in the program. You were a free agent. I was too free. And so I was not free to really experience community sort of in, in, in that capacity of my, my college experience. That seems so formative now that you're creating
0: communities for a full time living. Wow. Um, did you, did you feel that lack in, in the moment? And also what, what course of study did you design for yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I don't feel like a, a total hollowness happened on the graduation day. Like, ah, oh, regret. I've done this all wrong. Like, I fortunately, I I don't have a lot of regrets as a person because um, I think I have a lot of empathy for myself of whatever I was going through or a thought process I had at the time. I was like, I I get you. I I know where you were, and so I don't blame you, and I don't have a regret.
0: That's beautiful. And also, I'm beginning to learn that regret is a character trait, not a not a situation. Not it's. it's- you're a regretter or you're not. Mm. I'm glad that you're not. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, so you weren't having that hollow hollow moment. You weren't regretting. Um, was there a... Is there a but?
1: Well, what's kind of uh, humorous or sad is that the major I, I constructed was around online communities and, and, and cyber culture. Right. Because I was noticing around campus that everybody was looking down at their screens as they walked around my friends were more on Facebook or whatever, YouTube at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying to like take stock of what was happening. Um, so I think it may be in some order to... I just sort of intuited that there was this huge shift of how people were communicating and interacting with each other. And I think a part of me was kind of scared. I was like, what is this about? How is this going to change the way that we relate to each other? And um, so kind of ironically, again, I independently studied... Community building. Very
0: cool. I remember you telling me about this at one point, actually, and I remember finding it fascinating. I'm curious, and I do. Okay, I'm curious, do you did you feel like an outsider on that phenomenon when you were deciding to study it, so to speak? Were you like, I notice all my friends are doing this? And you regarded it sort of fearfully? Or were you like, Like, were you on the outside looking in or were you like, this is a big part of my life and I have curiosity about it?
1: Yeah, I I guess, fortunately, I don't think I felt alienation. Um, It wasn't like all my friends were glued to their devices and I was like, palpably upset because of it. I also spent three years of my college experience living in a co-op of 64 people. Whoa. So I was around people a lot. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Let's talk about that. That seems relevant, too. Um, and I think you mentioned that as we were preparing. So what made you decide to do that and how do you think it's
1: echoed since then? Yeah, I, I didn't, it's like a, a part of me doesn't want to stick too much in my, my college experience. Yeah, years, me either. But let's, like, set a, let's set a hard deadline. <laughs> yeah. But, we're going
0: to, uh, we're going to give you three more minutes. <laughs> I just wanted college. to meet m- cool people. Yeah.
1: And, um, I, I, went to orientation day for a sorority thinking oh, this is a good way to meet friends. And I got very overwhelmed, which is funny that I now run a space for th- mostly women. Um, and the, not a sorority Des- yes.
0: deci- decidedly like not a sorority. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> so I, I decided to, um, you know, mixed gender co-op was more my speed. And I think like the benefit of that was um, really experiencing firsthand uh, being in a cooperative with people who, It's not like a sorority you don't choose to be with people. It's sort of a random selection. And I think I just got exposed to people who I wouldn't have normally. Um, And when I think about the principles of community building now, that's such a strong case study for uh, the building blocks. Like the big thing Sandy and I talk about a lot is repetition. So Mm. you need to see people over and over again to have familiarity and to feel like you're a part of something. If you're living with 64 people, that definitely happens to
0: have the comfort to have hard conversations and the comfort to have fun conversations. Did you enjoy it while you were in that experience or was it difficult?
1: I, I did. I mean, the, this kind of links to the running theme with me is uh, I just find people's stories so interesting. I love uh, finding out what makes them tick, what motivates them. And, and I just want to really intentionally be a lifelong learner so uh, I think just being around people who are always teaching you different things and being engrossed in conversation, if I could do that 24-7, that would be great. Well, maybe not 24-7, I need to sleep. But um, in some ways, creating a community space, which was an idea I'd had in mind five, six years before starting New Women's Space, it was like, okay, what, what is one job that I can do and stick with if I'm going to put roots down anywhere How do I ensure that I keep meeting new people and I keep learning? That's beautiful. You're living your dreams. I also want to
0: say I know we want to get away from college, but this is a really stark example. It feels that now we have all the themes of your life out on the table already, almost. It sounds like college really was formative, like in the truest sense of the word, like you started to form the foundation of what you were interested in immediately then and what you would come back to years later. Very cool. What happens after college?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, too, though, that it's like I didn't, at the time, I wasn't like, this is going to be big. This is going to be, you know, a thing for me. You never are. We never mm-hmm. are, right? Mm-hmm. So cool. It's that hindsight is 2020 thing. Well, also,
0: it's the hindsight is 2020, but it's also, it, it's like what you said about arriving at college and understanding that you didn't actually want to be anyone else but yourself you're just, you're you, you're, you're out here being, gravi- you're out here gravitating toward the same things that you were at 18 and that you were at 22. Uh, and you, wherever you go, there you
1: are. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so after college, what, what's next?
1: Yeah. So right, uh, right before I was about to graduate from college, I had a, another round of, you know, identity crisis or what am I going to do with my life? As a lot of people do when they're about to graduate. Um, I remember being in a career counselor's office with like a box of tissues and I was like, oh, this is the closest I feel like I've been to therapy. I don't know what I want to do. And at that point, I think part of my narrative had been in place around um, me not being able to focus on one thing and framing it as such because you can say like, oh, I'm like super excited and drawn to many different things. That's a more positive framing. Or you could say, well... I don't know how to stick with one thing. Um, so that is like certainly a loud voice that has been in my head. You know, it's still there. Um, I went to Spain because I wanted to travel. As I wanted, one does. I know. I wanted to see the world. I was teaching English. Um, and yeah, I just had a real drive to see what else was outside the U.S. Um, and then fast forward a year later, I was like, okay, I think I finally got this bug out of my system. And, and actually it was going to, I remember being in London and a different place in Italy and seeing examples of community spaces there that I didn't see back in the U.S. So like what, um, just spaces that felt more hybrid. Um, I remember going to this place called like the library or the book club or something in, in London and it just so seamlessly trans transitioned from being like a day space where people got together to like a night space where people, um, enjoyed themselves with like drinks or like had a performance. Um, and I don't know my experience in the US and granted I was 22 at the time, so I hadn't like had a tons of nightlife experience at that point, but it was more, there's a cafe and you go to that and then it closes and it's privately owned. Or, and then you go to a different space to be at night. It wasn't just. And it'd all be weird to
0: run into the cafe people in the nightclub. You'd be like, oh, what are you doing here? Yeah. No integrated community. That's interesting. Um, do you think, again, hindsight being 2020, you were noticing these things. Do you think it was already percolating that this held some real weight for you? Or were you just kind of like, ah, yeah, that's cool. What's next?
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's where like email is great as a record. I remember I have emails from uh, that year, 2009, uh, to a friend just saying, like, I just saw this space and I and feel so inspired and I feel like I even mapped out sort of what my community space would would look like wow so. really mm-hmm.
0: so this this
1: goes back years
0: wait so going to Europe is a real
1: junction then I guess in, in so many ways I, I guess I hadn't seen examples of a community space I really thought about uh what kind of communities I wanted to be a part of and then when I moved back to the US, I ended up working in different hospitality jobs. My dad owned a restaurant, so I have a lot of work experience in like front of house service. And and I was living in the Bay Area and food there is such well, it was such a hot scene. I feel like it I'm not really sure how it is now. It's been a while, but um, tech and food were the big industries it felt like. And so to be able to go to a restaurant and see somebody that you knew or a chef or blah, 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 know who was who, it felt like a real community. You could just kind of show up and know people. And that's, especially in a city like San Francisco, which is, um, you know, a legit city. It's not always um, a prevalent thing. So there's definitely been an exploration for myself around how much of your like, this traditional binary that people operate within their personal life and their work life how much of that do i want to just be one and the same
0: yeah that's huge i'm i want you to go into more detail about how that was playing out in that moment in your life but i've just i've thought a lot in my own life and i've thought i thought about this especially a lot in upspeak where we were this group of women who were kind of like trying to make our professional lives match our personal ones more, it gets exhausting to be two different people. Even the the anecdote we just, or the little comparison we just made of the cafe people and the nightclub people, it gets exhausting to code switch, I guess is the word, to just like completely operate as as two different people with two different sets of values in two different parts of your life. So I think, and that energy that you use up in code switching is probably better applied to just going all out with one set of values and one set of aesthetics even. Uh, so it's really cool that you were thinking about that truly really so young. You're like 23 at this part of the story. So how is that playing out there? You're talking about food and tech. Is that the binary? Is, were those your day people
1: and your night people? Um, I don't know. I guess I was more flagging it as just this, even as I've, you know, created a community space and thought about how my schedule is more flexible in some ways, but still, you know, working a good amount of hours. Um, yeah, I I think one question I like to ask people is what communities are you a part of? And when I look back, it was again, when you're in the moment, you're not always recognizing it. It's only looking back that I was, I've been made aware that I was very much felt a part of a community. Um, And part of that is just feeling like, you know, people and, or even are recognized by them. Because I think a lot of times people show up in communities and you might even see someone every week and, you know, have your small talk or the certain things that you talk about, but it's not, You can have a moment with them where you're like, I don't even know much about them, but I feel like I'm a part of this thing. Um, And so, yeah, I think there's sort of an interest around um, that time and that repetition. I think I've gravitated towards it because it's really hard for me to stick with one thing. Um, Like, I think that's why New York lights me up because I'm like, you can go to a different place every single day every single hour you could go somewhere else. And I knew that would be an uphill battle creating new women's space where it's like, okay, if anyone actually, if their behavior maps to mine, then I'm not going to necessarily see people over and over again. Um, Oh, so interesting. Yeah.
0: Just a bunch of Melissa's out there who don't want to be locked into any one experience uh, and instead want to use what you've cultivated to supplement their big wide lives. That's cool. Um, how but let's go back though to this moment in your life it sounds like kind of the precipice of one where you're starting your your grown-up life um, you're a member of these two sort of communities what what tangibly are you doing like what decisions does that lead you to
1: right so I wasn't even a part of the tech community at that point um, another one of my junctions that I'd share is um, I was working, for a commissary kitchen, working, getting paid pretty minimal, um, but, but learning and enjoying myself, but also, um, 25 at the time and really kind of wrapped up in a relationship. Um, were you cooking for them or were you working in another capacity? I was just supporting like the kind of like, uh, operations assistant. Okay. Basically. Um, and yeah, my, my boyfriend at the time very much was like a player in that. Bay Area scene. And I think it was uh, he brought confidence and a focus and a community that was really attractive to me. And I got pretty wrapped up in that. And it was easier to uh, not make decisions for myself and just have him sort of be the guide for both of us, which eventually led me to leave San Francisco for, uh, I don't know, six months or something and, and travel with him to work for work in different places basically. So I found myself sort of at a low point where I was far from any friends and family. Um, I was not working. I could kind of clock my own hours and I was in theory had this great, again, freedom. Uh, we got this crazy opportunity to work for people who had uh, a place in Uruguay. So I was living in Uruguay and these random things. I was like, who wouldn't want to live in South America? But then I was just sitting alone on the beach, just being like, what am I doing? Wow. Yeah. Low point. Yeah. So
0: this is the kind of decision that you made. It sounds like you weren't necessarily on your own compass. You were or your, your compass was being heavily demagnetized by this big force in your life. (sighs) That's relatable. I'm sure that we've all had that moment in our lives. Like, oh, wait, I am in the middle of someone else's dream right now. How did you steer back? How did you, how did you get a hold of where you wanted to be?
1: It's so funny. I, some I, cause I use the analogy sometimes of, uh, being the supporting actress or the supporting character in someone else's life. And at the time I was even writing as people do sometimes when they're lost writing a screenplay, Ah. um, trying to just make sense of what sort of world I had been a part of. And um, yeah, again, hindsight 2020 looking back, I was like, Oh, you were just trying to understand what was going on through writing. Maybe that's a theme. Um, But yeah, I made the decision to like leave, Uruguay and I moved back to, to San Francisco and tried to create something for myself and that's when I uh randomly I think it was on Craigslist maybe found a job posting for SoundCloud um yeah and then I managed to get hired somehow um and I was the first uh kind of community support specialist in their San Francisco office they're based in Berlin and that was kind of a connective moment to be like, oh, I never thought anything around my thesis would come into play. I would even, you know, really talk about that when ap- applying for a job. But here is this thing called a community team. And um yeah, so working for SoundCloud was my first foray into tech. And I'd argue that a lot of tech jobs uh, to sort of link back to that work-life binary and balance. Um, they The current culture for a lot of startups in tech world is like Oh, well, we want to give you all these perks so that you stay around. And we want to hire people that are a culture fit that could be your new best friends. And like, we basically are going to set you up so that you can like 100% do this.
0: Yeah. Live and breathe this.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have some opinions about that? <laughs> um, I mean, I think, because uh, later on, uh, I went on to work for Kickstarter. And with both companies, I really liked the people I worked with. I thought I was treated well. Um, it was very comfortable, and and I think it makes it harder to leave. I think people who might be even in a role that doesn't feel at the end of the day they're not like super excited about it, or it doesn't feel like they're fulfilling the, you know their their why. Um, I think people can get stuck, for lack of a better word, in in a really cushy place because they care about the community that they're a part of and it's just, it's comfortable.
0: That is so true. So relatable. I'm thinking about your analogy of playing a supporting role and in some small way that's going to eat at my soul, probably forever, (laughs) working for a company is playing a supporting role. (laughs) You're, you're, playing a supporting role in someone else's storyline, ultimately, or a boardroom of people's storylines. Um, but and yet, um, when you make the decision no longer to do that, you're right, you're, you're getting rid of a community when you, you're either doing something on your own or you're doing it with a bunch of people. But in the bunch of people scenario, you're sharing the spotlight and the effort or the fruits of your labor with a bunch of people. That is a hard, hard set of things to choose from.
1: Yeah, and I think I have to acknowledge my own sort of values and, you know, even to go back to your question around what is the circumstances that you're born, I think it's hard for me not to mention the word millennial. Like a lot of even what I've shared now around what what lights you up and what's your why and what's your passion. A lot of that is um, millennial speak and frame of mind. And I think also, you know, being in the U S we're, we're highly individualistic culture. So people do want that, that like to be the star of their own storyline. And in some ways hearing you say that made me want to say like, I think there is a place for being a part of a team and a collective and a support. Um, and maybe like you just have to intuit and feel when you're um, that's by choice. Yeah. Yeah, or
0: when that's right for you or when it's not. And it's probably not a a binary situation for any one person. It's probably a seasons of life thing, too. I was just telling you, I'm pretty into having a nine to five right now. I'm sure that won't always be the case, but Mm -hmm. there's a time and a place for it for sure. Uh, Or you can do what you have done and create a collective around you that starting, that that founding and creating uh, was you being the star of your own storyline, but now you're helping others to be the stars of their own storyline. So you could just like cheat code the whole thing and do it that way like you did. Um, so is there a step we want to talk about in between then and now? Do we want to talk about the decision to quit or do we feel like we've done that? The decision to go to one side or the other of the conundrum we're discussing right now mm. for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess a couple of themes come up uh, around sort of knowing your own patience level and also risk tolerance. Uh, when I've talked to people who are perhaps unhappy in their comfortable, great jobs, but are not happy. Yeah. Not feeling inspired. I try to get a sense of, uh, sort of what their priorities are and I think I've always had a pretty low tolerance for feeling well stuck in something and part of it's a little bit of that carpe diem like you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow so why not live every day to the fullest kind of mentality Um, I also acknowledge that a part of it was privilege like I was able to quit my job at Kickstarter and not know what was next and a lot of people don't have that financial freedom to do that. Um, and yeah, I think sometimes having a charmed, you know, it's fairly comfortable uh, middle class, you know, middle upper class background. Um, there's times where I wonder if I had less, if I'd be hungrier and more like ambitious and it would actually like light a fire for <laughs> me to do be more of a risk taker. And similarly, like, uh, or con- conversely, if I was, you know, if money was no object, like, you know, what could new women's space, for example, even look like? Um, yeah. So sort of being in the middle of like, okay, fair, you know, fairly inspired, but also kind of comfortable. Um, I, I guess I think about when quitting something, there's definitely doubts. Like, I, I think I don't want to be too impulsive and I didn't want to, I didn't want to have regrets. And it's sort of a question of like, how long... You set a time limit. Do you say, "Okay, if I'm unhappy in my job, I'm going to just wait it out for three more months. I'm not going to agonize over it, but I'm going to check in on this calendar date. And if I'm still unhappy, then I'm out. Or do you just say, I trust myself and I'm going to intuit when it's time. Which one did you do? (laughs) Uh, Probably the
0: latter. I say that in my intro. That's something that I say was like, do we do we make our lists or do we intuit our decisions? So you the latter.
1: That makes sense for you. And sometimes you need both and then you throw one out or you don't actually follow one. I probably made a list and then just ignored it.
0: Right. You set a timer to check your, a calendar invite for you and your intuition to check in. Mm
1: -hmm. Touch base, Melissa and her
0: intuition Mm -hmm. three months from now. Um, Can you actually, can we have a, a brief diversion on the topic of intuition just because I may be off base here, but you're someone who strikes me as you strike me as someone who has something to say on this. I know that you have a yoga practice, you're you're an instructor, you're a certified instructor and that you may have some insight to share with our audience about the mind-body connection and just like tapping into yourself to decide things. Do you have any particular approach there?
1: <sighs> um. Well, I think the past year for me, I've, become more aware of how cerebral I am actually and how much I rely on thought and feeling in control by being able to articulate things. And I think having a practice like doing yoga or um, I've tried meagerly to get into meditation last year, um, anything where you're just kind of checking in with how you actually feel um And actually what's been wonderful is meeting different kinds of people. I feel like we all have these moments where you like connect with someone that just thinks about the world or approaches it in such a different way. I think there's such amazing teaching moments there. Um, And recently just even having lunch with someone who stopped us. We were mid conversation and he was like, let's close our eyes and just breathe and see how we feel. And I was like, what? I would never (laughs) do that. So yeah, using other people as like as guides, but um, you know, even as I say, I'm a cerebral person. I think I do trust my, uh, intuition and kind of first judgments around people and opportunities. And it's kind of crept up on me. I think of myself as in- very intentional in some ways. And yet I think every single big junction I sh- I'm going to be sharing on this, sh- this show is, has been made, um, more on a gut feeling and more of just like intuiting something that needed to happen. Wow. Yeah. Um,
0: so we've kind of caught up to, not quite now, but we've caught up to your last big gap leading up to the junction where you founded New Women's Space. What was it like right after you quit?
1: Yeah, um, I think while in some ways it sounds, the grass is always greener, you can, be thankful to not have a job that you have to go to every single morning and you have the freedom again to wake up and sort of do what you want. But uh, constructing your own day when you feel a little lost is daunting. And sometimes I think I just tried to reach out to tons of different people and I didn't know exactly what was going to happen next. Uh, I don't think I felt necessarily in freak out mode, but I was sort of saying yes to everything and anything. And so it's kind of nerdy, but I think about the design thinking process, um, the first stage being like an opening or a brainstorming. So you're just like throwing out anything and you're like, I don't even know. Let's just try this on. Um, and ideally that is followed by the next stage of um, convergence and, and sort of seeing themes that emerge. So what led me to start Upspeak, which is how I met Asha, is I uh, took some poster paper, stuck it up on my wall, And I'm just brainstormed all the things that I was interested in. And I started seeing um, some, yeah, some big themes just right in front of my face. And uh, supporting women was something that I actually kind of discovered through looking at all the projects I'd backed uh, or supported on Kickstarter. Like 75% or more were for women and girls. And I was like, whoa, okay, that is... That's some real data there. Yeah, that's some great data. Key mm-hmm. analytics. So that kind of crept up on me. I was like, "What? Whoa, cool!" That
0: is a really cool birth story of the Upspeak Upspeak project, and I'm really glad you just mentioned design thinking. I don't know much about it, but it feels pertinent to this show. Maybe, maybe one day we can have a whole episode about design thinking because that's a way to make decisions that I should know about, right? Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> um. Okay, so Upspeak. Is born via some poster board on your wall
1: and your blood, sweat, and tears. Um, which I had initially, I thought Upspeak might be a two day conference. I was like, the first oh. day is going to be professional development. The second day will be a personal kind of focus on. And I, I just had this, I went big in my vision at first. And I remember, uh, inviting a handful of friends over to, to do a feedback session, which is something that, uh, fast forward to when Sandy and I were working together and we also did a feedback session. So I've always been someone who likes to ask people for help, especially when I'm feeling confused, which is often where I'm like, what do you think I should do? Um, my mom is really good at that. And I feel like... Um, she's I'm, really good at asking
0: for help or giving you feedback?
1: Um, both, but she's someone who asks for... for uh, what is she, I don't know how she describes it, but she like pulls people. She's like, what do you think? What do you think? Advisory committee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. And, and I think there's there's a balance you can take because at a certain point you can start to get lost and not know what you actually think or you have too much input. Um, But yeah, I think it was due to that feedback session that uh, a couple of friends were just like, maybe that's a two day conference is really big thing to chew off. Like, why don't you just start smaller? Um, And so starting with like a cohort model, having the upspeak groups capped it, uh, 10 people just allowed it to just kind of start, a little bit more manageably. Um, and and I think it. I'm, I'm really glad it turned out that way because I think also something's lost after a certain number of people, which is another one of my nerdy community building ideas around like, I think a community can only get so big before it really doesn't feel like a community anymore.
0: That feels right. I feel like you have so many interesting tidbits about this that I wish we had more time to get into. It seems like there's almost a math-like precision about how you're building new women's space that I'm so curious about. Um, well, I, I loved the format of Upspeak. I thought it was perfect. It was just really what I needed at that junction in my life, where right? I just needed some support and I needed to talk things out and I needed just some brainstorming about what was next for my career. Um, so let's talk about how new women's space was born.
1: Yeah, I mean, it felt so serendipitous, and then I always, when I tell the story of how I met Sandy and how New Women's Space um, came to be, I I also add, though, that I want to give myself credit, because I met Sandy at an event, like a small kind of casual circle up group at this yoga studio that we were both connected to, and... If I hadn't shown up that night, then I wouldn't have met Sandy. Probably not then. And if I didn't intuit that I, hey, I really connect with this person, I really like their energy, then I and I didn't follow up, then it wouldn't have happened. Like I, I have to give myself credit for yes, it was serendipity, but also uh I had I took action. And I think um that's important for anyone who's maybe in a similar position that I was where you're, you feel like you're maybe, um, like kind of stumbling into things. Yes. And life is happening to you. Exactly. And you're just kind of, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no formula. You're just following your nose and maybe you're just like going on a gut being like, this could be cool. I could do this. Um, and then maybe something just stands out and you wait and it's a, especially for impatient people, it's hard to know when is that thing going to happen? Um, when do I know it's right? Um, you know, I don't, I think it's like striking some balance of being realistic that there's not always like this magical movie like quality. And yet sometimes there are times where you're, you're, you're just in a flow state with the, the universe. And it's kind of like, yeah, this is, this needs to happen. So, and Sandy and I met, uh, beginning of 2016. I went to one of, uh, Sandy also had an event series. I went to one of their events, uh, a few months later and then it wasn't only, it was like five months later that we actually had coffee and we like, oh, you want to have a community space someday? Like, so do I. Well, cool. Okay. Bye. And then sat on it, thought about it. it was like, well, again, start small. What if we just did a prototype? We just did a month, you know, pop-ups are a thing. We can just take over space. That'll give us practice. So I floated the idea by Sandy, and I was really surprised that, you know, Sandy was like, "Yes, let's do it." So, um, it was conceived of as a one month pop up, and um, and then it sort of had its own life force when we asked, we had feedback sessions. Uh, we realized that we wanted to actually create community beyond just this one month, and we found a space that was um, essentially month to month. So we another decision that you are not locked into. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think that's like maybe the only way I could have found myself with like like a business partner in a like, you know, official, you know, we're an escort, you know, I'm like we're yeah. legit business. It's like if if Sandy and I who didn't know each other super well had been asked, you know, do you want to go into business together for like the next 5 years? We'd be like, uh. Definitely not. Yeah, it's too much. But when you start small, um, and especially for people who might be afraid of locking themselves into something, I think that's a way to sort of trick yourself into commitment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that seems really, really right. I just, I really want to take a minute on what you said about giving yourself the credit for decisions that may feel like they happen to you. Even if you, even if all you did was, pay attention and reach and and respond, even if all you did was understand that an opportunity might be looking at you in the face and like just barely reach out for it. That is huge. That's what makes up life. And when I bring up this show to people, so many people say things like, I feel like I've never made any big decisions. They've all happened to me. And I just want those people, if they are listening right now, to understand that in the same way that Melissa is giving herself credit for this occurrence in her life, that you should be giving yourself the credit to.
1: Um, I don't Can know. Can I interject something quickly yeah. about like, it's just like the word fear is coming to mind so strongly right now. Is just um, that fear is the thing holding us back from, like, when you're making a decision, you have, say, you have two options or multiple options. Um I was just I was thinking about my my best friend who I've known since we were 8 and she's just been a, a huge sounding board for me throughout every stage of life and there's been more than one occasion where she is just like you know there's not it's not there's not a right and a wrong there's not like one is going to lead to one set of outcomes and another thing is and I think so much there are decisions in our lives where we feel like there's so much pressure that if we don't make the right decision, with a capital T, like something bad's gonna happen. And I f- it's helped me along the way to try to bring awareness to, like, okay, what am I? What am I, What is the root fear behind this of not making the decision? Um, and if you can acknowledge, okay, there isn't a right decision. Then then what happens if you play the like worst case scenario? Like, OK, great. I want to start a podcast show. Great. OK, so what if I start it and no one listens? Like, OK, well, maybe you just keep recording. And then I don't know if you keep doing it and you don't it doesn't pick up any traction. Then you try it. And then, you yeah, know,
0: then, you know, yeah, there's no there's no bad scenario. Mm-hmm. Do you did fear come into the picture for you as you were deciding to do this? It sounds like because you were taking it one chunk at a time, you're doing the pop-up and you were making the stakes low enough to sort of clear the fear hurdle that this wasn't a big part of your story, but was it a bigger one than I'm understanding? Mm.
1: The, the, maybe the part that felt serendipitous is I didn't feel any friction from myself. So I don't feel like I was very fearful. That
0: is so beautiful. What you just said. I was with a friend last night who's making a big decision like this and she said something so similar. She's like, "I can't. anything else would be friction. Anything else would be hard. This is the only thing that I can do without thinking about it w- without feeling friction. Mm. man, that's the right
1: decision. That reminds me of'm I'm, I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but my mom shared this um some some quote uh, around like a flower blooming. It's like at the point the little bud it's like more painful for the bud to stay closed in than it is to bloom. It's like, you know where that tipping point is, you know,
0: (laughs) I'm so overwhelmed with feeling right now. I can't, we have, okay, we only have four minutes left. Ah, I'm sorry. Um, If there's one other thing you'd like to touch on thematically, I think now would be a good time to do that. But I honestly can't imagine a better ending for this show than that quote you just gave. We're going to keep talking until the end of the hour, but wow. (laughs) Just keep that in your mind, listener, as the the last beautiful moment on this podcast. Let's take a minute to talk about something that I wish we'd gotten to more. I guess it really is related to the topic of not wanting to lock yourself in. The best decision is the easiest one to get out of, but you talked about satisfier versus maximizer. If we can... If we can cover that topic in like one and a half minutes, I think that'd be so exciting for this show. And maybe it'll open up conversations on later episodes. How do you define those two things?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, I think of a uh, satisfier is just like takes what's in front of them and says, how can I make the most of the situation? And the maximizer is like, I need to explore all possible options before I can maybe even return back to the first one and say, I know that and I have confidence now that this is the right choice. And I, I think I've been like that. Even I, a stupid example, but in middle school, I remember I had X amount of money to spend at shopping. I went to every single shop. I thought I might find something I liked. I put things on hold and only after that could I go back to the store and be like, Oh, I have confidence that this is the shirt I want to buy. Yeah.
0: That definitely seems like a framework that we all or a spectrum, I guess that we all fall on too. And when you told me about that framework, it's still ruminating. I'm not sure which one I am yet. You are a maximizer. You know, you've known this since middle school shopping. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought I'm, I'm excited to explore that framework on the show in the future. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you. you so much for sharing your mom's quotes about flowers. Thank you so much for doing what you do. I really was not exaggerating when I said that I'm certain you've affected hundreds of people. In, in, you know, some small way, just as much as you've affected me and,
1: and my small journey uh, with this hobby. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening in and asking your questions. And yeah. um, hope anyone who's listening comes and says hello at New Women's Space.
0: Yeah. Please do a plug. How can we find you on the Internet and in real life?
1: Yeah. Um, newwomenspace.com or at New Women's Space on Instagram. Um, you'll be able to find me both those places.
0: Fantastic. Uh, ending credits, Radio Free Brooklyn is a non-profit community radio station supported by listeners like you. Go online to uh, support, uh, donations help, and keep us alive. Also, our theme song is by Nation of Language. Check them out on Bandcamp or on tour. Uh, that's all for you guys. Uh, happy, happy Sunday. Have a good week, and I'll be live next week with a new guest.